Hey everyone, Jonathan and Brian here to tell you that two weekends from now, our, our Christmas services begin. Believe it or not, Brian, two weekends from now, Christmas services. Wait, that's what this video is about? Yeah, man, Christmas is essentially the same day every year. And so, uh, speaking of Christmas, I got you a couple gifts. I got you oh, this hat. Help me get which ready. Which is amazing. And then also the uh, pastor, senior pastor Wayne Kent Christmas mug, oh, which is amazing. You can add that to your collection. Six of these, but I'm yeah, yeah, gonna grab too many. Complete set now. Anyway, hey, uh, we have eight identical services over the course of four days. Can you believe that? That's a lot. I know, yeah. So we start that, let me just clarify. Our Saturday night service on the 19th is at 6 p.m. Yep, for our 6 first Christmas service yep. of eight identical yep. moving from there. So it starts on Saturday the 19th at 6 p.m. Okay. Sunday is 9, 11, Normal and Sunday 6 p.m. Oh, and then again. also 6 p.m. again. Yep. Okay. And then also on Wednesday, we're gonna having a 6 p.m. Got it. And then Thursday, two, four. Wait! And six. And six. You got because it. Because there's a six p.m. Yeah, there's a all six four of those days every day. It's and kind of can... like our Christmas Eve theme, like six p.m. plus some others. Sure, whatever you want to say. Okay. So anyway, we have an in-person and also online option at every single one of those times. So if you want to be home for Christmas, like literally in your house, you can do that at any one of those times. Uh, any of the eight options. That's right. Yeah. Did you say online too? I did. Online. I was totally distracted by that <laughs> awesome singing. It just mesmerized me. So right. yes, online or in person. Yep. We'll see you find out all that since you're not going to remember the times we just said to make sure you got it locked away in your schedule online or in person at firstdecatur.org. Click on the What's Happening what's page. Happening? Everything. What's is Happening? Yep. Everything. Johnson's awesome. social security number. It's whatever not you need. I hope not. Okay. Everything else. All right. We okay. look forward to seeing you guys. Good morning. I want to know where they got that mug. <laughs> Leslie was um, at home watching uh, online last night. She says, can we get those? I said, no, <laughs> no. It's good to have you with us today. My name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm looking forward to spending some time with you together. Welcome to each of you here in the West Auditorium to everybody's in the East. I was just over there to see how things are going over there and say hello to a few people. And all of you who are online and at Lovington, Welcome to our First Christian Church today. We're very glad you're with us. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 21. It's where we're going to be reading in a little bit. We've got some ways to get there today. Um, but um, if maybe you've got it on your smartphone or a tablet, or if you're online, there's a tab on the computer where you'll be able to find it. Genesis chapter 21. Um, I, I, I want to acknowledge something as we start our time together today. And... Um, Say that preachers are like you. Uh, maybe you didn't know that, but we are very much like everybody else. We sometimes, um, I think we get portrayed differently than others, but we are just like you. And candidly, like you, there are moments when events come along in life and you simply wonder, okay, I'm going to pray about this, but is God really hearing like, is God too busy for me right now? Is my need sort of that way down the list compared to everyone else? And if so, um, what's going to happen? I mean, I have those, you, you have those moments where you think about that, right? No, so, that, and I want to tell you a story. We're going to read a story today where this idea of God hearing us and responding to the things that are deep within us uh, is very helpful. So, the story um, is thousands of years old. There's a fellow, sort of an old guy, um, at least that's how someone extremely young like me <laughs> would describe someone in their mid-70s. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> After all, I mean, if a fellow is in his mid-70s right now, Rick Abernathy, <laughs> when I was born, 
he was a teenager with a growing beard, right? Careful, careful, Wayne, right? Yeah. Because somebody between, between my age and 75 is a ton of years, I'm sure, right? And now Mr. 75-year-old, he had a problem. He had no children. Now, um, we had lots of other things. He'd done very well in business, and so he had lots of stuff. He had cattle and people. I mean, he actually had more than just people who worked for him. He, he had um, not just servants, he had slaves. Many of them had come from Egypt, but he had a problem. So the same problem his wife, who at 65 years of age, she had the same problem. They had no heirs, they had no children, and they came up with a plan that we start, sort of, we skipped around the plan last week, we were looking at their lives, but this week we'll, tell, we'll look at the plan. Sarai, the wife, had a young female slave of childbearing years, late teens, 20s. She was from Egypt. Her name was Hagar, and um, Sarai suggested to her husband, Abram, listen, we all need, at 65 and 75, we realize we've got to have some kids around here. And I would make this suggestion. Why don't you sleep with Hagar? And let's hope she can get pregnant by you and she can be um, a surrogate mother and we'll start having heirs. And it took a while for that sort of scuttlebutt and that plan to come into fruition. In fact, Abram was 86 years old by the time that he and Sarai had all the details in place. And <laughs> who are we kidding? These days, that sort of decision by a uh, couple in their 80s and 70s, bringing in a young woman like that, uh, that would land someone on the Jerry Springer show, wouldn't it, right off the bat? I mean, because you know the, the, this can't turn out good. You know this is going to get nasty. And so Hagar agreed. Well, actually, I don't know that she agreed. She was a slave after all, so she probably complied. And um, it was expected that she should comply. And the result of her willingness to comply or the willingness, maybe she wasn't even willing, but nonetheless, the result of all this, um, she turned up expecting as to be expected. That's the theme of our Advent series this year expecting the unexpected. We're looking at the unexpected places where God might show up. And he's going to show up in this rather sordid tale, but uh, if we're people of faith, shouldn't we expect God to show up in unexpected places? And if you put a young woman in that sort of setting, it probably won't be long until a baby is on the way. It's not ex unexpected, it's expected that she'll soon be expecting, and thereafter, uh, the family's gonna get a call from Jerry Springer's producer and say, do you wanna be on television? Of course, the story has to turn bad. And that's what happened to this happy family called Abram, Sarai, and Hagar, Chaldean. It turned bad, all right. Once the pregnancy was known, once Hagar began to lord it over her female master, she sort of got an arrogant attitude. Well, actually, it wasn't more than just sort of. She just got downright. She rubbed it in Sarai's face, and Sarai couldn't manage the anguish. She approached her husband saying, you know what, Abram? You are responsible for the wrong that I am suffering. Here, here, here you take a look at this slide. You're the wrong, you, you, 
You put my, I, pardon me, I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. And it, it seems odd to me that she says, Abram, you're responsible even though I put my slave in your arms. But nonetheless, they're both responsible. And Abram just goes, mm-hmm, wasn't my idea. He basically says, she's your slave. You de- do as you see fit. And I think he was tired of the bickering. And so with that, the scriptures tell us that Sarai began some harsh treatment of the young girl, pregnant, and it wasn't long before Hagar had had more than she could manage, more than she could handle, and she ran away. And she ran out into the desert expecting to die. Take a look at the screen and see what you think about what she might have experienced. I hate my name. They say that names are supposed to tell the world who a person is. My name means flight or stranger. I've been a handmaid, a slave girl for as long as I can remember. When I was given to Sarai, I was happy to serve such a beautiful mistress. But then she and Abram left Egypt for Canaan and and they took me along. I missed Egypt, but what say does a slave girl have and where she will go? When I first entered their household, I loved to listen to the stories they told about God and the promise he made. Sarai would glow whenever she talked about all the children she was going to have, countless as the stars in the sky and her eyes would sparkle like the stars. But after we had been in Canaan for some time, she talked less and less about children. In those 10 years, she changed from beautiful to bitter. She and Abram hadn't been able to conceive, so she told me that I was going to bear her children for her. It's a common practice in these parts highest role a slave girl can hope for, actually. Even so, it it wasn't what I wanted for my life, but what can a slave girl do? She took me and gave me to Abram as his wife. I became pregnant, and it surprised me because I began to feel like I was finally somebody. Having children is the most important thing a woman can do. I was still a slave, a second wife, but I would be a mother and secure my place in the family. I knew the child would eventually be hers, but for a little while, at least he was mine. Sarai was happy, but not for long. Soon she complained to Abram and blamed me for suffering. Maybe at times I I was proud and insensitive, but afflict suffering upon my mistress? That that wasn't me. I, I wasn't to blame for her insecurities. I expected that Abram would restore Shalom and protect me, the second wife, mother of his unborn child. But he told her, do as you please. She is your handmaid. He didn't even look at me, just went out of the tent. That's when life really became unbearable. 
I was given all the hardest chores. I carried water until my whole body ached. I made bread in the fire until my hands burned. I was so, so tired. There was no reason for me to stay. I would always be the abused slave. My child would be ripped from me. So for once in my life, I made a choice. In the dark of the night, I fled. I set out for Egypt, my home. There, I wouldn't be a stranger anymore. Now there's only so long a pregnant woman can survive in the desert on her own. Sand as far as the eye can see. I, I was tired, hungry, and most of all, thirsty. My throat was drier than the desert around me. I, I, I didn't care if I died. But my, my baby must live. Then out of nowhere, there was a spring. I, I lapped up water, not caring one bit what I must have looked like. And, and then suddenly someone called my name. Hagar? I froze. No one had called me by my name in a very long time. Was it Abram's men? I looked up. It was a stranger. A servant of Sarai, he said. He knew who I belonged to. I, I, had I seen him before somewhere? Then he asked where I had come from and where I was going. I am running away from my mistress. Before I could even tell him I was going to Egypt, he told me to return to Sarai and put myself under her hand. I will greatly multiply your descendants, so they will be too numerous to count, he said. He said I would have a son. A son that I was to name him Ishmael, meaning God hears. I couldn't believe my ears. Then he said that my son would be a wild donkey of a man. That may seem strange to you, but my heart rejoiced. I knew that I wouldn't have to sacrifice my son to Abram and Sarai. A donkey is not an animal for sacrifice, and he would be wild and free, not a slave. He could be everything I couldn't be. All at once, the pieces fell into place and terror gripped me. This man who was making these promises to me, Hagar, a slave girl, was Abram and Sarai's God. I, their runaway slave, was surely going to die. Then he looked at me with such intensity that all my fear melted away. I don't think he said the words out loud, but they were impressed on my heart. I see you for the first time in my life. Someone actually saw me through the veil. All of me, not just what I could do, but all of me and all that I could be. All that I've done, all that was done to me, my past and my future, my hopes, my dreams, 
my fears. I wanted that moment to last forever. But I blinked and he was gone. So I named the man Elroy, God of seeing. And he looked at me and I at him. And in my moment of greatest despair, I encountered the God who sees me. He sees me. He knows me. Even me, Hagar, the one who flees, the stranger. But that name doesn't fit me anymore. I am no longer a stranger. I have no more desire to flee. I am finally home. I am the Lord's handmaid. May it be to me as he said. So when Hagar and the angel of the Lord are chatting together, the angel makes a um, fascinating statement that he's going to be a wild donkey living in hostility toward his brothers. Can take a look at what he says. He, your son, will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He'll live in hostility toward all his brothers. And you've got to go, well, what brothers? This baby doesn't have any brothers. Well, that's the rest of the story. Because Hagar found herself back in the home of her son's father. And with that, friends, the Jerry Springer moments keep popping up. See, 14 years later, Abraham, Abram, soon to be Abraham, is 86 years of age when Ishmael is born of Hagar. 14 years later, when he's 100 and Sarai is 90, suddenly, by a miracle of God, Sarai shows up pregnant and she gives birth to a son of her own. It's a remarkable story we examined last week. That son's name was Isaac. And to this day, Jewish people, all Jewish people can trace back through their bloodlines all the way back to Isaac, all the way back to Abram and Sarai. And that's good news. But the struggle between the two women continued. In fact, a couple of years, two to three years later, as young Isaac is getting to now to be more than a toddler, a little tiny boy, if you will, Ishmael is being in his late teens. Think about it. His father is 86 when Ishmael is born. 14 years later, there's a half-brother born. So at 14 years of age, then two or three years later, at 17, uh, the situation then became unbearable for everyone. The two half-brothers, Ishmael and, and Isaac, young teenager, mid-teens, 17, 16, 17, and a little tiny baby, if you will, they muck around together. But Sarai was concerned. She thought to herself, what if this half-breed kid, well, he's not a kid anymore even. Look at him. Look how tall he is. Look at his shoulders. I mean, his developing beard. Manhood is upon us in regard to him. And she had this great concern. What, what if he gets some of my son's inheritance? And the growing problem between the two women caused Abram, now known as Abraham, to make a very difficult decision. He banished Hagar and his own son, Ishmael. Read with me um, in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse um, 14. 
Abraham has said to Hagar, you can't stay here anymore. She's already been in the desert once as a pregnant girl. Now in the beginning in verse 14, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and set them off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. So she's out in the desert again. First time she was out there pregnant, now she's out there with her young son. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away. Bow was an arrow, so she's, what, you know, 40 yards away maybe. And she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I'll make him into a great nation. And God opened her eyes. She saw a well of water. She went, filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. And so these, this dehydrated, these dehydrated people now have some water. And um, God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert. He became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. So this is the second time that Hagar has found herself in the desert. It's also the second time that God has intervened in the crises of her life. What does that mean? What does that mean that God intervened in Hagar's life? Because here in the Western contemporary world, um, particularly in Christian circles, we don't know a lot about Hagar and her son Ishmael. Christians particularly, we seem to have a bias toward the people of Scripture who end up the winners and whose stories get featured over and over in the pages of the Bible. And that's certainly the case um, with Abraham and Sarah and the Jewish lineage and the whole Jewish nation that comes after them because after all, that family became the chosen nation of God. And the Bible follows the story of Jewish thinking and life as it comes along in the bloodline of the son born to Abraham and Sarah. The Bible doesn't particularly follow the story of Hagar and her son, Ishmael. And the result is at times we can be biased against them and particularly when you add in religion, uh, which, you know, starting with when, when Islam comes along and many of Ishmael's descendants become um, Muslims, it becomes very difficult for us to not get away from some of the bias. Let's be honest about that, all right? But what do we have to say about Hagar's story and the concern she had for her son and God's intervention in that? Um, well, I could think I can help you with that a little bit. I have a friend who has some insight into Hagar's story. Dr. Tim Kowalczyk often joins me um, as the co-host on Direct Line on the radio. He's the professor of history and political science at Millican University. He's also the scholar in residence at Westminster uh, Presbyterian Church and preaches there most weekends. Now, when he did his PhD, the focus of his research was on the, on the, the story of Judaism and particularly how other people have... Um, related and persecuted or, or how they've dealt with Judaism over the years throughout centuries. And so he has some insight into the first Jewish family story, this Hagar and, and uh, pardon me, Abraham and Sarah, and where Hagar and Ishmael fit into that. And so he and I had a chat about this uh, just a few days ago. Maybe you'll find this helpful to understand what's going on in the Bible here. Dr. Tim Kowalczyk, welcome to First Christian Church today. Thanks so much for spending some time with us in the midst of a, a busy season. And I'm sure you've got lots of work to do over at Millican and at Westminster. And then you've got to fill some stockings that I can see on the, on the fireplace behind you. You better get after all of that. That's right. 
help me in light of what our congregation is looking at this day, help me understand um, the story of Hagar and Ishmael. They're kicked out of the family compound, and yet God has said to Abram, and later the fellow becomes Abraham, don't worry too much because your son, your first son actually, not just Isaac, but your first son, Ishmael, is going to become the father of a nation. Did that occur? Is that sort of, what happened there? Well, depending upon how you define uh, father of a nation, it was not uncommon in Near Eastern cultures um, for rivalry to exist within a family, um, especially among sons and, and, and fights over inheritance um, or, or certain issues within the family for sons to go off in different directions and start not only entirely different clans, but entirely different cultures. Uh, it, it could go uh, lots of different directions, especially if they were born to uh, different wives, that, that rivalry would exist. And you see that all over um, Near Eastern culture. And eventually what we eventually, well, there's some, a lot of discussion about the Arab culture, et cetera, but it's not monolithic. Um, it is diverse. Um, we uh, tend to paint with uh, broad strokes and, and view the Arab culture and, and cultures that weren't either uh, Jewish or Israelite in that particular time with, with, the, with the same perspective. And that's just not the case. There were different cultures, there were different tribes, different clans. And so go back to your original question and say, was he the father of nations? Well, uh, that's debatable. He certainly uh, started a strand of culture that was not um, Jewish. And even though many people in that culture draw their lineage and heritage back to Abraham, it's the, the divide was, was not just lineage and genetics, the divide was culture. Um, the divide was over religion and the idea of worshiping one God versus many gods. Um, and, and Arabs were, con, you know, were constantly in competition with themselves just as you see with the Jews, um, they, they were in competition amongst themselves and different kingdoms and they split and um, it went different directions and, and God dealt with them separately in different, you know, in multiple different ways throughout the Bible. And you could make the argument that, that God was um, still working in, again, what we would call Arabs, but Near Eastern cultures uh, to bring revelation and bring truth in different ways. So when, when God says to Abram, hey, this son of yours is going to be in hostility toward his brothers, that played out. Absolutely. It, it played out almost immediately, and then it plays out for centuries and centuries. Uh, it's still playing out today. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, a lot of times we think, I think we think of the, of the hostility as towards just the Jews, um, especially with recent history. Um, but keep in mind, what we consider recent history is just a blip on the screen for centuries and centuries of animosity towards one another. And the key here is when it says he's going to be hostile, when Ishmael is going to be hostile to his brothers, it's not just the Jews, his generations, the lineage, um, if he's the father of nations, that hostility goes to each other as well, because uh, for recently, the only thing that united Arabs was their hatred of Israel. If it wasn't for Israel to hate uh, as a common enemy, they'd beat each other's throats as well. Um, but what about the most recent peace accords, like the, the uh, um, United Arab Emirates? They've signed a peace accord with Israel as well as a few other nations at this point. It seems like Saudi Arabia is opening up a little bit. Is it more so that they, it's not so much that they like Israel now, it's just so much that they hate Iran? Yeah, it, it's, that's, it, there's a lot of geopolitical um, influence in these decisions, uh, which tells you again, 
the the animosity is rooted not just in the genetics of the situation. Um, it's rooted in a, a lot of different elements and um, a lot of different um, economic, social, cultural, political uh, divergence. And, and again, we cannot view the Arabs as monolithic. There's a great divide between Sunni and Shiite uh, Muslims. There's a great divide in terms of, of their desires, what they want. There's a divide in their cultures. Their, even their ethnic and genetic backgrounds, the difference between Arabs and Persians and um, uh, different cultures in the Middle East. And so um, that animosity that existed way back in the time of Ishmael exists today in multiple ways. It's not just aimed at one particular um, group of people. Um, Fascinating. Here, basically 5,000 years ago, God says, these two kids, Abraham, I mean, uh, Ishmael and Isaac, there's going to be trouble. And here it is 5,000 years later, not just between those two kids, but between descendants, and it just carries on. Right. It's, it's, it's almost like God knew exactly what he was predicting. <laughs> hey, Dr. Tim, thanks for being with us today, and uh, best wishes to you and your congregation in the coming season. All right. Merry Christmas to everybody. Take care, man. All right. So... You're probably saying, Wayne, that's, that sounded real scholarly. What, what, what are we to learn from that, right? Well, I have some observation about this whole story about this woman who's sent out to the desert twice and how's it gonna play out and she's not liked by the family. The, the, you get the whole thing, right? Well, to understand all this and to maybe give you observation, can we do a little bit of Hebrew work, a little bit of language work? There's a word that should, would be helpful for you to understand in this uh, event, and that's the word shama. It means to listen, to give heed, to hear, and frankly, it means to have power to hear. And um, you read it from right to left, not left to right, and the, 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 the letter that looks like a W, that's the SH sound, that's the SH sound. And it means that you listen with a sense of concern. And Shama is used throughout the Old Testament whenever God hears oppressed people crying out for relief. The, the, the kind of cries that you have and that I have from time to time, you go, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You know, the, the, you feel like no one is listening. You feel like you're from the wrong side of the tracks and you just can't, nobody's going to pay attention. Your health isn't what you expect it to be and you cry. Your career got derailed by COVID. The family is treating you as if you're Hagar and Ishmael and you have no idea why. And... I've got really good news for you, friends. In the midst of those cries, God hears you. See, because we have this woman who runs away or is one time runs away, the second time is banished, all the way out to the desert, and she might mistakenly be considered a second-class person. I mean, after all, we would say she was a slave. Slaves are never seen as full humans, and so maybe her story doesn't count. Certainly the ancient world treated slaves as second-class persons. But is there ever a good thought process behind this understanding that somebody might be a second-class citizen? Is there really someone, is there really any human of any race or color or predisposition or any personal history who was a second-class citizen before God? We'd have to say absolutely not. Yet this woman who was treated horribly and poorly and the woman who everyone said, well, she's just let her go. Let her go out there and if she dies in the desert, so, so be it. 
Remember what happened on both occasions. We read Genesis chapter 16. The angel of the Lord says, you are now pregnant. You'll give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord is what? Shama, your misery. Nobody else may pay attention to you, but God has heard your cry. As a matter of fact, that name Ishmael, she names the boy Ishmael. Abram names the boy Ishmael. Do you know what that means? Ishmael means God hears your misery. And then in Genesis chapter 21, when he's now grown to be a young teenager, and they're out there, and he's under the bush, and he's, he's about to die, we read this. God heard Shammah, the boy, crying. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has Shammah. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. And I, I, I want to suggest this to you, friend to pay some attention to God's action in this matter. God hears the cries of all of us. And God particularly, I think, hears the cry of anyone who would consider themselves to be a second-class person. Maybe you don't expect that. Maybe you say, well, it's unexpected that anyone would pay attention to me. I gotta tell you, friend, God caring for anyone in the Old Testament who isn't Jewish, you go, that doesn't happen. God doesn't care for second-class citizens, but I want to tell you that's not the case. Just because the story of the Bible often focuses on Jewish situations doesn't mean that because you're not Jewish, you don't get to be included. No. For that matter, you are not a second-class person. In the midst of your cries, in the midst of whatever nightmarish thing that you might face from time to time, there's nothing in your life that would warrant running away from God's care, running away from acknowledging that God hears you in the midst of each and every situation, in the midst of your cries. And maybe you don't expect that. But I tell you this, people of faith Always expect the unexpected.
your buried body begins to breathe and out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim 